1: like kobe in a fourth quarter this is the dane moore nba podcast brought to you by blue wire podcast this is part two of our media day set of podcasts i guess kyle tygee uh, who runs katas is with me again this morning we we did a pod that was just all about was right after the, the mark Laurie and alex rodriguez introductory press conference so if you're wondering why we're not going to talk at all about the introductory press conference uh, for those two uh, that's because we did another pod on that this morning for tonight's episode, we're going to focus all on, on Media Day, which was basically just, if you're unfamiliar with how it works, it's just a churn of all the players. Um, they just kind of cycle through, answer about 10 minutes worth of questions from the media. Um, so I have Kyle Tygi again here with me, who is there at Media Day at Target Center, I guess, Mayo Clinic Square, um, where we just kind of watch this go down the entire day. Kyle, this is your first Media Day in person, I think, right? Yep. You live in Portland. So. Yep. Came into town for what is I don't know, maybe for fans who are we're watching on the live stream and, you know, can't really see what the setup was like. Like, what was what was the setup of media day like?
2: I mean, it was kind of controlled chaos um, sure. in terms of like, you know, we we already touched on everything that went through in the morning session with new ownership. Um, but, yeah, it was just it's like an assembly line of yeah, that's six foot eight super humans. You know what I mean? Like it just they come one through another. I mean, it was it was live streamed, so they actually had they I thought they put together a good product if you're trying to stream it online. And every player would get introduced by Dave Benz and they'd ask a couple questions and then it would just get thrown to us. Um but yeah I mean it was it's it it was weird, right? We did that pod earlier this morning and we are like, we don't know what to expect today from the players. And nothing really crazy came out. I mean I'm sure we'll talk about everything Carl said, mm-hmm. but for the most part, um it was really cool to experience as a fan. It was really cool to experience as someone who kind of pseudo covers the team. Um, but it also, we talked about this on the drive home. Like, it wasn't no, nothing, cr- like, they did what they had to do, right? After everything that happened last week, after having literally <laughs> their affairs posted all over the internet, literally, um, they kind of just put their head down, answered the questions. There wasn't maybe as much humor or comedy as you would get from a past for sure. Media day, but I also don't know how much of that is Yeah, the is entertainment
1: still- level was low and I think that was intentional.
2: Like Yeah, it was it was you know, I I would imagine having some friends who do some other PR stuff and like their their mission might have been if no one really remembers what was said today and we just start practicing tomorrow, that's okay. And if you look around, I mean you and I were kind of scouring Twitter to try to catch up cuz we've been off our phones and you see what's going on with Golden State with VAC stuff or you see what's going on with other teams and like with Philadelphia the and the wolves, are like, probably the wolves gi- are like, Hey, <laughs> we didn't really say anything today that like put our foot in our mouth. So uh-huh. that was kind of my biggest takeaway, but it was still, I mean, I think a lot of guys, um, I had, I know we're going to talk about this, but I had a couple guys that like, I really was impressed by, mm-hmm. um, like Torian Prince was one of them. So it was, it was cool to just see those guys again. Um, I think it was ex- extra cool for me. I would love to get your perspective on this as well, but like, you know, um, we started covering the team together way back And then we've kind of grown in what we do. But then last year, when we kind of took that step up, we were thrown into the Zoom world and it was just constant Zooms, right? And it was so, you were so detached from like seeing a player physically react to a question or like seeing their exuberance with a question they really liked, or maybe it was a question they just wanted to dodge. So being face to face again, not to turn this into like a COVID talk, but it was just cool to be face to face again with those guys and seeing how they reacted to. Um, kind of talking about basketball again, something that we haven't really been able to do in a setting like that for over a year and a
1: half. Right. Yeah. It it kind of struck me as a group outside of Carl that one doesn't really care that the president of basketball operations got fired, doesn't really know Sasha and Gupta all that well, and doesn't quite frankly, just doesn't really care all that much that all they've the team's been in the news because I think the way the players view it is the team hasn't been in the news the front office is the organization has been in the news right like cat for understandable reasons just by being the kind of face of the franchise you're kind of an executive right so he had his opinion he's also been here the longest he's seen the most of this stuff so he had opinions but like nathan knight <laughs> torian prince he has been here you know like most of these guys it's just like this is another media day like this is what I have for basketball for me this season. I mean, these guys—this is their job. A bunch of the, a bunch of the guys talked about how it's contract years for them, and you know how they're ready to get to work. You know, selfishly in ways to like get paid next summer. Well, in here, it, anyone who listens
2: to this obviously is very familiar with who the old president of basketball operations was. But uh, yeah,
1: I feel like we we're like trying to. It Seems like we, like he's like Voldemort. Like Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he he's should ask. Like, no, Gerson named. Rosas. Gerson Rosas got fired. For inappropriate behavior. But but, like, uh, but the one thing I took
2: from today, um, now that you know I've gotten to know Sasha in a little bit and getting to know like obviously Chris Finch did his thing, right? But then a little behind the scenes, like when player seven, wait, we had to wait between player seven to player eight and we're just kind of moving around. Chris Finch came out and just kind of shot the shit with us. Um, I think when Gerson Rosas was here, we've joked about how he would give you nine-minute soliloquies, right? Like he would just mm-hmm. give you these long-winded answers. Um, and just chew up the space and sometimes say a lot without actually saying anything at all. I think maybe that's
1: where Kat learned it.
2: Right. But I so to remove Kat from the equation, right? Cause you said he was an executive, every other player that spoke today, it's going to be really interesting. And I'm like really hella excited. I think this team is going to take Chris Finch and Sasha and Gupta's personalities. And that's going to, how they're going to enter the season. Chris Finch is the most laid back fucking dude ever. Like, he is such a chill dude, and I think that's where—I know no one wants to talk about anymore how they're the youngest team in the league because that gives them a scapegoat to not be successful. But I also think when—I mean, I, I asked—I can't remember who I asked. Jake Layman he's the second oldest player on the team. He's mm-hmm. 27, right? right? You know I mean, there's only one guy on the team who's north of 30, and that's Patrick Beverly. And he wasn't even—he he was here today, but he didn't do media availability. So that youth that we sometimes talk about as an excuse to not win, it also is like kind of a benefit of like 22-year-old dude. Anthony Edwards doesn't give a damn who sits in an office above the court. Just right. give him the basketball. He just wants to play basketball. Like they don't, I mean, some of those guys really gave poignant answers. Of like I didn't care at all. D'Lo was the worst. Like I didn't care at all. I don't like, Gersh was a good dude. He was good to me. What he did in his own time, whatever. And like, I'll see you at practice
1: tomorrow. It, it, it is. And let, let's start talking about Chris Finch and Sasha Gupta spoke first, but, but briefly before we get there, like, I think for, for me too, I, I will openly say I did not during last basketball season, I did not feel like I knew Chris Finch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's
1: fair. For, I did not meet him in person until the season was over, you know? So I would not have echoed any of the things you would have said if we we're having this podcast, you know, five months ago or, or something, but I am, I'm noticing the same things you are about his personality. And I'm very curious to how that applies and resonates with the players because Ryan's strategy, Ryan Saunders strategy was more like tapping into the youth of the players by like energy, energy. It's like clap it up, clap it up. And um, yeah, he, he, he brought more of like, I think one way to approach youth is like with energy in that sort of way. And another way is to kind of like give them their space. And that's kind of my sense of what You know chris finch will do not that he's not going to hold them accountable but he's not under like because i don't know any sort of illusions that he has to like change them yeah if that makes sense yeah you know and and i'm curious like i'm just i'm i'm curious to see how that resonates right because in ways and maybe with like some players i think that worked with ryan saunders obviously one example of how that didn't work like d'angelo russell did not like that that did that did not speak his language. Right. And so so I don't know I was kind of thinking about that today too and just watching him kind of interact with some of the players and it's different than Ryan. And we'll see if it's better. I mean, I think we all kind of assume it'll be better but different personalities. That's a that's what the coach is, right? Like it is taking your personality and like imparting it on the other players to get them to play together better. That's your job. And and one of the kind of
2: core things we took away from and I think Sasha really hammered this home during Like I said, it was him and Chris Finch on stage first. um, Was like Rosas is gone, Voldemort's gone, but everyone else is still there, right? And they're still like, I know we were trying to talk about continuity all summer, but it wasn't like they got rid of Rosas and then brought in, you know, the president of basketball operations from from Toronto. Like they got rid of one person and everyone's still the same. Like all those players, another kind of core thing I took away from today is those guys. It, I think you can tell when a player doesn't like a coach, like they're not going to be like, "I hate this coach," but they just they'll skirt around how they talk about him.
1: Yeah, the body language.
2: Again, of the, the in person stuff we picked up on. They like those guys really do would take a bullet for Chris Finch. Like they really do love him. It's already
1: calling him Finchy.
2: Yeah, like there was. I mean, and again, too, some of the. Uh, not on camera stuff. Like, I remember Jalen Noel was up there and when Finch was talking to us and he left, like, they just had a really cool dynamic. Like, mm-hmm. I think Chris Finch is... And we had talked about this all summer. Like, I felt like he was gaining power, right? Like, no matter what the thought process of Rosas was or how people viewed him positively or negatively, it's just like, I think Chris Finch is, like, gaining power. And I really do think he's not, you know, he's not the executive vice president of basketball operations. But I think he's probably one of the most powerful people in that building because I think the players love playing for him. And that's going to be important this year because forget the youth, forget the inexperience, forget, you know, the new players. Like he also can then use that relationship to hold players accountable. And that's the only way you get guys to improve on defense. It's the only way you get guys to bust their ass 120% on a night of, you know, a second night of a back-to-back. So I think those relationships he's forged, is why you had to make that coaching change in February is because it gave him a four months, five months, six months heads up on the seven new coaches that got hired this summer. You know what I mean? Like, sure. There was a bunch of turnover amongst the whole NBA, but he had those extra time to just get to know his guys. And I think that's going to be one of the key kind of things we look back on if, if, if they start the season as hot as some would hope.
1: Yeah. And and to the power thing too, which, which brings us to the, the start of the media day portion, which was Chris Finch and Sachin Gupta on stage, which was like extremely short. I don't think Sachin said more than twenty words. Nope. When you know when he was on stage, but I mean the setup, if Rosas would not have been fired, would have been that would have been Finch and Rosas there, and they would have talked for twenty two minutes. Exactly, and it would have been a lot, and it would have been clear that the alpha in that relationship, that were that dynamic, it's Rosas, right? And and now. There's going to be like some alpha power that Gupta just has over Finch because he is the chief decision maker, but I really, it sounds weird because, you know, Finch and Rosas go way back and it's this great partnership, right? In, in theory, but I I kind of now think this will be more of a partnership between Finch and Gupta because there isn't necessarily a power dynamic there where I don't think Gupta necessarily wants to stay over finch and in that sort of way and there's uh, we haven't had i know you and i haven't
2: had a ton of time to dive in, yeah, we're, in we're
1: recording this by the way like right afterwards so if our, if our thoughts are a little all over the place it literally just we're also just
2: super caffeinated still
1: but there's a really good article on cleaning the glass
2: that everyone should try to get to by ben falk about sasha and Gupta that came out this evening about his kind of just who he is so just to kind of another deep dive and i think the dynamic because you wonder right you wonder Chris Finch was Gerst's guy like that. We knew that you had said that two years ago, like at some point, Chris Finch is going to get this job. Um, I think the dynamic is almost going to be even better between a guy like Sasha and Chris, because I think Chris Finch is totally cool being the spokesperson for an NBA team. You know what I mean? Like you don't always see that. Like, I mean, I I think some teams have their presidents really loud and outspoken and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of media stuff. I think Chris Finch is more than happy being a meat shield during times of like poor times, and being the guy that talks him up during good times, and let Sasha just do what he does best. Right. Like I don't think Sasha saying well, twenty yeah. words was not like that. Might have been strategic. I don't think he wants to say a lot of words.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think he's cool with that too. If I'm being honest, I would have liked to well, have heard more from him. Yes, I mean, I got thirteen minutes of Nas Reed to transcribe. I would like more than two minutes of you know Sasha Gupta because I'm you know I'm, I'm I'm curious of what Sachin Gupta's stances are on the record. For he is different than than Gerson Rosas. Like he he has a different. I I don't. Again, I kind of talked about this on a previous pod, but like he has a different approach to roster construction, to basketball, to building a team. It is going to be different, and it's kind of this weird spot now where you have a Gerson Rosas roster, right? Right. Like this is set up in that way. So I'm just I'm just kind of. Fascinated to learn, like, what what are you about, Sasha You know? And and I understand why today probably, you know, it's, it's kind of get up there, get out. Um, but I, I just know from other conversations I've had with him, he, he's an interesting person and, and smart. And I think, like, I think the fan base, when they get a chance to better know him, that anybody who's still kind of, like, holding out on the idea that, you know, whether... <laughs> they believe gerson should still be in charge or not i think that's ship is pretty clearly sailed but i think people can are going to get behind what sasha gupta is about and the way he's going to build a team similar to the way that the people were like i believe in rosa's trust the pro sauce all that like i mean straight up i just think you have a you have a better president of basketball operations right now than you did five days ago that's my opinion on the situation, but like, and that, and that's not, I know both of them. That's
2: not necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Like, I think, I think it's important for, for once to just slow down. And like, if I say that, I think people would just be like, dude, you know, just so much optimism. But I think when you say that, it actually means a lot more to me. Cause you've also been far more critical at times when, when need be and cynical at times when need be. But, but yeah, I just think in, and, and to the, to the Sasha point, like, I think you're right. I think it was just, can I just get in and out today? But I do think as a huge fan of him, he also, you know, the late great Flip Saunders was doing like Friday radio hits and stuff, right? When he was leading mm-hmm. the team. And like, I don't know if you have to be that public. But, but Sasha, if I, you're listening,
1: you feel free to come on the Dan More NBA podcast. Every yeah, I'll say also my DMs are open. <laughs>
2: but um, but no, I, I think, and I think as he grows too, like, again, no one wants to hear youth as an excuse for losing. But the same goes kind of with Sasha, right? Like he hasn't actually, like, I don't know if his, Key card works to get into Gers's office, which is now going to be his office. It overlooks the practice facility. Like he hasn't been here for less than a week. He mentioned, you know, that he hadn't seen his wife for a couple of days after they got back from like a trip. Like, I
1: I don't know if people like understand like <laughs> he he was on the honey his his first day back in the office from his honeymoon was the day that Gerson got fired. Yeah. And so it's just a whirlwind for him. But like he's also not that he's not ready to be a president of VASP operations. He's probably not ready to do everything right now, you know? And I'm sure he's had a million different calls and stuff and things to, to, you know, kind of put in place over the past, what do we call it, 96 hours? Has it been four days? Is that right? Yeah, I, and I can relate too because I got back from my honeymoon. I immediately flew out here to hang out with
2: you and cover the team. But no, I just <laughs> I just think he has to... He's going to have to have more of a presence. He doesn't need to have the the Rosas presence publicly, but... um. I think again the, the my bar was set really low people today. Just,
1: people should get behind him once they have a reason to get behind him. Like and I think that's what he would want. Like make make a good move for Ben Simmons, or don't make a bad move for Ben Simmons. Approach this, you know, this trade deadline. Like have a good trade deadline when it comes up. Like that's your time to work. Set it like set a culture. Th- those sort of things. Like in ways to fairly judge what Sashin Gupta is, it, it's going to take time because he didn't put this roster together as is currently constructed. So even if this team somehow goes out and win 50, 50 games, like Sashin Gupta doesn't deserve that much credit for it. That is Gershon Rosa's roster. For, maybe he gets some credit for instilling a better culture, yada, yada, yada. But like the proof will be in the pudding down the line for whether yeah. or not Sashin is, you know, is. is the man for the job here. And to piggyback
2: off what we said earlier today after the ownership press conference, um, it's Sashin's team. This is like, you make great points about whose roster it kind of is and stuff, but today, tomorrow, when practice, when training camp starts, next week when the preseason, like, this is Sashin's team. And I think by everything we heard publicly and some of the stuff we kind of talked about on the side, like, he has been empowered to be the guy. Right. So for as long as he's the guy take it and run with it. You know what I mean? Like at some point there's going to be a search, you know, that seems like common knowledge and he's going to be one of the candidates, but kind of like I said, how Chris Finch had those four or five months. Yeah. He needs a start too. on all the other coaches that are new to the league. Sasha kind of has a head start on all the other candidates that are going to be brought in at some point and be interviewed. And if you can, whether you make the Ben Simmons trade or you decide that's not what you want to do and I can have a better long-term future with the guys I got here. Um, Take it and run with it because these
1: opportunities don't, you know, they don't, they don't come very often, right? The, and you know, in the kind of the one of the first things he's going to have to quote unquote deal with, and this is Chris Finch too, and this is the whole organization, is you know Carl Anthony Towns, who again, it, it's it's actually kind of bizarre to juxtapose how passionate Carl was today, understandably, and frustrated and angry about all the annoyed about all the stuff he's had to deal with in his career here when so many of the other players are just like whatever like on to the next one but that you know you have in Carl Anthony Towns you have a player who's like in his prime ready to win now up for a contract extension this coming summer like that's you know that's the next thing in the like the Timberwolves story at least from a like managing the basketball team steps right and And I think with Carl, I I mean, let's talk a little bit about his commentary today. Like, I, I I think it's like one thing to see a couple of his quotes that came off as really angry. But also at the same time, I think if you would watch Carl's whole like 13 minutes of talking. He was highlighting the things that make him angry to show that he's like that. It's impressive that he's still here and still passionate about it. And the Sports Illustrated article, we can talk about that too. He like kind of reaffirmed that came out today, like reaffirmed his his desire to you know to want to be here. So the the Carl part, as was probably to be expected, the Carl part of Media Day was a bit all over the place. But I wouldn't say, and I, again, I haven't even really had the time to check Twitter, so I don't know if people are going off about that. But I guess that's about what I expected from Cat today, where he he vented he for sure vented right and then but he did still put it back together like i'm still gonna be a pro about this and all those sort of things and i as, don't know i guess if you're a wolf fan that's what you want
2: as as completely unbiased as i can be like i'm really pulling off my my jersey here if you took and hit me like hit me if i'm wrong on this or you disagree but i didn't he said a lot of shit today right he definitely came in there because you know he hasn't talked a lot like his persona the way he walked up the stage today was different than that first media availability when remember like on the zoom when he sounded so just downtrodden like just after so COVID, yeah. yeah after covid and Robert again his that, mom passed, that yeah. makes total sense in the world but i took it as because and dane has a really good thread of these tweets where he talked about what happens last week it just adds to the list and talking about the instability and all the different you know he talked about how he had a coach die in the late great flip saunders he's had multiple front office people he's been he used a word that I'm not sure is a word, but he said deframed by a teammate. Like he kind of- I he, think that
1: was like a, what I think he meant was like defamation of character. Yeah, like he talked about, he kind of talked about
2: the Jimmy Butler situation, but he kept in my mind, and tell me if this is this is such a piss poor analogy, but like it kind of is like at the end of the day when you're really tired and you just talk about like, well, I got the grocery today, and then I took the dog out for a walk <laughs> and then it fucking rained and then I had to go get the oil change and stuff. But it wasn't that you were necessarily saying like, I want a new life. You're just being like, I'm tired and this is why I'm tired. Sure. And that's kind of what I took from him outlining all of the factual things that you would find on Wikipedia about Carl Anthony Towns and what he's been through. But I didn't take it as any again, unbiased. I didn't take it as any way of like like a like a pseudo trade demand or anything. No, it was just like all. I've been through a lot. And some someone else should have had to say that. You know, like I I could see. Chris well, hey, let me cut that. you off
1: because that that would be the thing I would I, I think all the things that Cat laid out. He again, everyone. Wikipedia is publicly available. Like, he, I would have rather somebody else say all the stuff that Cats had to go through, exactly. rather than Cat needing to say that himself. And I think there'd be more power in his messages if he would, you know, he would do that because I don't know,
2: but I think there's, that's there's, just
1: how kind of it works these days. Um, but I also wonder too, like for a guy
2: that. We follow him closer than others, but like, who doesn't, you know, when the Jimmy Butler thing came out, he didn't, he didn't say a lot, right? Like he wasn't on the record much. He wasn't as much as Jimmy was. (laughs) Or when he got into that situation with Joel Embiid, I'm not even defending him. It's just usually when a situation arises, Carl tries to take the high road and just not say a lot. Mm -hmm. I felt like today he was just like, wanted to let, he kind of wanted to defend himself. Now that's a whole nother can of worms. Did he need to defend himself today? Probably not. But that's how I interpreted it as was just him just being like, I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm tired of losing. And this is all the shit that I've had to go through. And then it was really poorly managed because of however the schedule was built. Carl talked so long that there wasn't, I mean, like, for example, you didn't even get a question for this one. Mm -hmm. It would have been great. No one got to ask him about the Sports Illustrated article, which I thought was really pro-Carl and pro- Pro Pro-Carl in Minnesota. Yeah, pro-Carl in Minnesota, where he has that quote where he's like, I've put all my chips on the table. It's on the organization to like essentially offer me a max extension. And if they take it, I'm going to for show sign it and stay here. So it would have been nice to have kind of closed the loop of all his venting with something like that, because I think he would have put to bed a lot of whatever kind of aggregation you could have gotten from today. But unfortunately, we didn't get to do that. But I'm guessing that'll be something that does come down the line when next time you get to talk. to Yeah, him. I
1: mean, training camp starts tomorrow. I don't know if he'll speak tomorrow. I mean, we'll probably request him to speak as much as possible because it's the best player on the team. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a. Yeah, the, the story isn't done on on cat and, and this sort of stuff, which, which again is bizarre because so many of the other players were like this story's done. I'm ready to move on. Like, let's talk about basketball. That's again, that's the approach D'Angelo Russell took Anthony Edwards and like they're ready to play. And and, and you know, I think cat is too. like cat kept talked today about how it killed him to be watching sitting at home, you know, watching the playoffs. He talked about his peers, like I mean, implying, you know, Devin Booker and those sort of guys having so much success in the playoffs where he's stuck at home and he said it like made the vacations less enjoyable, those sort of things. So I think we genuinely have like a motivated Carl Anthony Towns. And and that
2: was my we can maybe kind of disagree on the necessity of what he said or how he said it or who should have said it. Um I just I saw a guy today that after he's been through so much, and we've talked about that ad nauseum, I saw a guy today who was just a little more fiery. And maybe he was fiery at a bunch of different people, the organization, past teammates, whatever. But if if he's third team all NBA next year, right, or second team all NBA, or this team does get a seventh year or something, like you could look back at this moment being like, that was the start of like the pissed off Carl season, right? right. Which would be great. It would be great if he had one of those, you know, FU seasons that Mm -hmm. he's just like, I'm mad and I'm going to play mad because I don't necessarily think after following Carl. I mean, I started blogging at the same time he was drafted. He's been so laid back and so extra professional. Today was like, he kind of dropped that curtain for a little bit and was like, you know what? I'm fucking mad. And maybe if he plays that way and it wasn't just a media day thing, it was, this is how I'm going to practice on Thursday. This is how I'm going to play on the second night of a back-to-back in November that's how this team takes a step, right? Is
1: and I would point out that there's been one other time in Carl's career that he's been mad and played mad, and it was after Tibbs got fired during the 2018-19 season. And statistically, once Saunders took over, if you just isolate for Cat, obviously the Wolves as a group didn't have success the rest of that season. But you know, once Cove and Saric and those guys were here, like Cat's numbers at the end of the 2018-19 season are actually insane. If you look at those and he came in, had his last really good off season, that 2019 off season, And he came out and the first 18 games of this season until he hurt gets, gets in the fight with Joel Embiid, and then hurts his knee. Subsequently, those first 18 games of the season, they were 10 and eight cast numbers are insane shooting. I mean like 27, 13 and five shooting like nine threes a game at 42%. I mean an insane number. So we do have a track record of like when this guy does get pissed off, and is in shape, like he balls out. And I don't – it would almost be weird if he – is that same thing isn't happening right Mm -hmm. now, is at least what what my opinion is on it. There's also – he mentioned how his offseason was actually about getting bigger and stronger, which I think goes against the Instagram narrative that's been going on where he looks like thinner and looks like a power forward. He talked about how the summer was about putting on weight and and you know getting bigger and stronger and more more physical. So again, didn't have a chance to ask, ask the questions. We'll have to follow up on some of that. But I thought that was interesting. Like, I think Cat's doing the right things from a basketball standpoint. I'm fascinated to talk to him a little bit more, and I'm fascinated to watch him play basketball again at the at the beginning of the season.
2: Go ahead. And it, was, it was cool too because there was again, if you're at the if you're at the event. There was multiple times, like, I did see him, like, with Alex Rodriguez. There's some, Alex Rodriguez posted a photo, too, of, like, them holding a jersey together or something, because there's all these different stations at Media Day where you're taking photos, you're answering trivia questions that they use at home games and stuff, but um, I think that I have nothing else to say on this. I just kind of thrown this out there of, I'm really intrigued, you know, we did an ownership pod today and this morning, and now we're doing a player pod. I'm really interested to see that relationship. I'm, like, we might not see it behind the scenes, but... I think Alex Rodriguez and Carl Anthony Towns are going to talk a lot. And that just kind of, you know, as a fan reconfirms my belief that Carl's here to stay long-term, but it'll be an interesting dynamic.
1: And that the thing that really resume, resonated with me when A-Rod was speaking this morning was he talked about how it took him, was it 13 years or 15 years to win a championship? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, if your cat, like <laughs> 13 or 15 years, is a, is a ways out the road. He'll be, he'll be pretty old by that time. But like, You know, it did take Alex Rodriguez, a superstar in the MLB to to win a championship and it's just really hard. It is really hard to win. And I think, I think to your point, I think that's something those two could connect over. Let's take a quick break and then talk about we've, we've made our way through one of the 15 players in the roster. Take a break. Come back with Kyle Teichy.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, we're back here with Kyle Tige of CanisHoopers.com. We are breaking down part two of Media Day, I guess. Again, we had a previous podcast that was all about um, Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez, and Glenn Taylor and their introductory press conference. We're now focusing on this roster who cycled their way through um, the Media Day stage, assembly line, whatever we call it, um, where they answered questions. Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is... Probably the main grab on on Twitter. I think you see a lot of those videos circulating, but the rest of the guys talked to um, behind Cat, you know, the next two most important players on this team are D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. Would Did one of those two particularly stick out to you, Kyle?
2: No, I was just going to close the loop on that, but then we go right into D'Lo and Ant. Um, because you talked about Sasha and you talked about Carl. Uh, just, to, you know, because this was the topic of media day around the league, right? But Sasha had confirmed oh, yeah. that there were two Wolves players who are in the process of being fully vaccinated and that all players will be ready to go hundred percent vaccinated by the time the season kicks off. I think that's just an important nugget to put in there because Carl also talked about it too and said that, you know, he did go on the path of it's everyone's choice and stuff, but he also had some really powerful wordings of like, if you don't want to do it though, don't be, don't use a lame excuse. Don't give me bullshit excuse. Um, But I think Nicki Minaj, right? Yeah, exactly. I think I, I, let's go right into Ant and Dilo, but I think it's just for those that maybe missed media day, it was, it's good to see what well, some other teams are having their own issues. <laughs> the wolves will kick their season off with a hundred percent fully vaccinated roster, which is just one less as you talk about dysfunction, one less headache or issue that they're going to have to worry about because their whole team will be galvanized in, mm-hmm. in one thing. But yeah, hell yeah. Let's talk about it was D'Lo first and then ant. So I thought Russell D'Angelo Russell is an interesting character. He just, He's another one of those guys that I just don't... He just says what's on his mind. Um, there was, like... One the thing I take away the most is I think Doogie asked him about Ben Simmons. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, just... What do you think about the Ben Simmons stuff? What do you think about his situation? And Dilo was just, like, leaning back, like, I don't care. And, like, in a funny kind of, like, I don't care. Like, that guy just really doesn't care about a lot of other shit, which is kind of respectable, right? Sometimes can be aggregate or you know, aggravating. But I thought he came off as just a guy who is also on the carl spectrum of Carter Towns was the guy 3 years ago to build your franchise around. DeAndre Russell was the second overall pick and this elite, you know, multi-time all-star and their stocks have like lost value. In it's in it, 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 no matter what you think of each player, it's impossible to say that what their value is now is what you thought it would be 3 years ago. It's not. And D'Lo's biggest thing that he that I took away from it he said he attacked
1: this summer like it was a contract year that really stood out to me too um because well one like a little bit of minutia it's not a contract year he is extension eligible at the end of the season um which i mean he's going to clearly be pushing for that he could get a contract summer 2022 right is that what you're saying like next summer he could
2: be contract eligible he could be extension Extension, he has two years
1: left on his contract this year and a whole other year after that but with one year remaining on your contract you can, he could sign another four year extension on top of this. And so he didn't shy away from that at all. Like, that's a major motivation for him this year is to, you get know, paid. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, and, and I, I think like sometimes the, we can be cynical about that, but oftentimes when guys are getting paid, not oftentimes, always, like if you're getting paid, it's because you've had a really good season, you've produced individually, you've produced as a team. Like, if D'Angelo Russell is, is hoping to get, have his next contract be for 25 30 million dollars a year again like it and get it immediately it like starts next year. on monday <laughs> yeah it it does and and i think i think that he's he made it clear that's something he's motivated by and you know to be frank right now if he was a free agent this summer he's coming off of an injury he's coming off of a couple years where well, one, he has been healthy for most of the time and he hasn't really produced that much. So like this is a big year for D'Angelo Russell, objectively speaking, for his contract status and just for like what his perception is around the league. I mean, it's no, you know, you, you pull a lot of people around and there's not a lot of D'Angelo Russell like believers and fans out there. And and I think I think there's a world where he has a type of season where some of that stuff ages pretty poorly. Like, I, I do believe D'Angelo Russell can have a really good season this year. And I feel more confident about that from the way he carried himself today. But also, like, I've heard a lot of good things about the summer that that he's had just from people that I trust. And certainly in comparison to, like, the effort and motivation that Russell has had in previous seasons, like, I think you're getting your best D'Angelo Russell in a Timberwolves jersey for sure going to Be definitely better than after the trade deadline, and I think it's going to be even better than it was at the end of this last season.
2: Yeah, I don't, you know, I know he's still young, right? Like, relative to people like you and I in our 30s, or just anyone, the average person listening to this, I think he's only 24 25. But, um, it was really, it was just kind of stood out to me in terms of if we're talking about last Friday being like, wow, how the hell is this team going to react to this latest dysfunction or something. And one of the first questions that was asked to him was like, what was your reaction to Gerson Rosas being fired? And he just sat there and like, just literally looked looked the question in the eye. I was like, I didn't really have one. Mm-hmm. He found out when he was on a golf course in Miami. And this is kind of funny to me, but like, he was like, yeah, someone texted me that Gerson was fired. And my immediate reaction was, what am I going to do with this approach shot to the green? Like, he was literally just like, okay, now I have like, I'm 150 out. Am I going nine iron or pitching wedge? Like that's what that was his mentality. And, you might scoff at that, but that might be the way that this team needs to address. Like, if he's going to be one of the highest paid players on the team, whether or not you think he's a good leader, he's going to be one of the most vocal people in that locker room. That might be how you want the young guys to think. Who cares? Let's well, just and
1: again, I think that's what everybody other than Carl thinks about it. Is like onto my next shot. I I I really do, and and you know, I think that's a you know a defendable position for him to be in. It's so much more important for D'Angelo Russell to have a positive relationship with Chris Finch than Gerson Rosas. And that was the clearest takeaway. I mean, I
2: have notes on every player who spoke. The takeaway from D'Angelo Russell is that he loves Chris Finch. And it's common knowledge that that's not how he felt about Ryan Saunders. Exactly. Right. And he he trusts Finch. I, mean, he, I think Chris Finch can hold D'Angelo Russell accountable when he needs. I think he can say, hey, you can't do that. I don't want you to do that. And I think I mean, we'll Russell.
1: See, we'll see on that. And, but I course, feel more confident that Chris Finch can will get be through able to, to do that yeah. than than Ryan Saunders was able to because he wasn't able to do that. So But no, I, I think that was the biggest takeaway. He he talked glowingly
2: about his current head coach
1: and well, and and part of and as somebody who's sitting here saying I'm a D'Angelo Russell believer, like part of it working for D'Angelo Russell is gonna be about like being coachable.
2: Yeah. And that's for on sure. you
1: know, that that's on him, and then it's on Chris Finch to do that coaching. So so we'll see. Again, I like if D'Angelo Russell is a stock, I'm buying it. And and he 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 did make multiple times, and you had kind of told me this before
2: media day and stuff. It sounds like he's really actually healthy. And he mm-hmm. feels like, I think he said some quote about how he feels like younger. younger. Um, And you did, like, regardless of the things he's still not good at defensively, some of the shots he takes, he looked like a different human being on the court as an athlete after surgery than he did before, right? He looked like he has Definitely. two good legs. So it that that's I'm with you it, it, from a stock up stock down, I would definitely invest in D'Angelo Russell because it's another, as we just talked about Carl. it's a make or break year for him because I think money matters to him, like I think he expects to get another max contract, and this next year is gonna play significantly into his future.
1: Uh, you speak about like the body changes and <laughs> looking like a better athlete i mean i as we walked into media day and Anthony Edwards was sitting like five feet away from us. Like I, I can say for me in, know, we go back 12 months or I guess 10 months or whatever, it would have been the first time I saw like Anthony Edwards in person at target center, you know, five, 10 feet away from me. I feel confident in saying, cause I didn't really know if the whole, like, Oh, Ant has grown a couple of inches. Like I didn't know if Chris Finch was kind of blowing smoke when he said that this summer, like I will say from my perspective, Anthony Edwards looks taller and thicker, stronger substantially than, you know, than 9 months ago. I don't know, the inch, 2 inches, whatever it might be, but like you got a guy who is not going to look undersized even playing the 3 in, you know, in the NBA this season. So again, another stock tie buy is <laughs> is that kid, like he he seems as poised for a breakout, I think as as anybody, you know, on, on this team, I we didn't get any like Anthony Edwards like hilarity today, really. But, or but you, you no, but I mean, I I also don't think that that was
2: because like the PR world has gotten to him. It was it was more of a f- product of the uh, manufacturing line of how today's events went. For sure, I think we're still going to get plenty. Oh yeah, of Ant. Like there was a question about you know like just Ant being kind of. not a celebrity but just a fan favorite of not only this market but kind of across the NBA and he just talked about how you know he just he really is a wholesome person right he just wants like I think he was like man I just want to put a smile on everybody's face um you asked him a really good question about how kind of just digging into like what what did you work on this year you said you were going to be Houdini and have some tricks up your sleeve and without a pause he was like well I like yeah I'm Houdini I'm you're gonna have to wait like you're gonna have to wait and see what those tricks are so um that and then just his his confidence level has not decreased a second. Zero. When uh they you know he confirmed that his ankle was
1: a hundred percent. It sounds like it was kind of
2: messed up at the time during his his time with team USA.
1: Yeah, what what I'd heard was it was the first time he'd ever rolled his ankle, like in his life. Oh, okay. It's kind yeah, of yeah. crazy. So <laughs> considering he's been playing basketball his whole life. So I think like I, I think that's not necessarily that it was a, a super terrible injury but that it it was the first time he had to like regain strength in his ankle and you know, I mean if you've rolled your ankle before you know what that's kind of like where you just don't trust it for a while I think it was I think it was more one of those issues I do think he's a 100% like right obviously ready to go tomorrow for practice and all that
2: when he was like if I wouldn't have rolled my ankle it was kind of funny he was like I, I would have been there with team you're saying I would have made the roster he's like I would have been there with them in. Like he was so confident that he was going to make Team USA, and then he had no idea where Team USA played.
1: Like yeah, he was the, like where he, the Olympics were. Yeah, yeah, he had
2: no idea where the Olympics were. He was like, I would have been in the Olympics, and he had no idea where the Olympics were. Just those uh, little things, like I said, he he still has his same personality, I yeah. think. Um, and I think it was kind of cool too to not we won't have to hit on a specific guy, but a couple you know players that were of lesser stature or bench yeah, players, some other ones. Um, were were asked like about Anthony Edwards, because, you know, at some point, you're like, what else do I ask Jordan McLaughlin? But there were other players that with, you know, off the cuff, just wanted to talk about Ant. And I think D'Lo was one of them just being like, you know, here's a question and D'Lo pivoted and be like, I want to tell you about how special I think Ant is. And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of cool when, you know, it's it's, professional athletes, man, are so competitive and so kind of narrow focused on themselves and their brand. And a lot of guys just couldn't stop talking about Ant. So I think I think if you're, buying... I mean, the Ant stock price, as we just talked about, DLo is that up there higher. with like the Amazons of the world. But if you and your friends have can pull some money together to get a share, I think Anthony Edwards still has leaps and bounds to go as not only a player but also a teammate. Um, he did he talked a lot about what he wants to do on defense. You might dissect that a little more. I mean, his defensive answers were about steals again, but yeah, no, concepts. I mean,
1: I, I yeah, there there was some on that, and then he also like. He made it clear that he's a leader on the team, like not ahead of Cat and Delo, but he's like, I'm not a rookie anymore, and in so many words, we're saying this is as much my team as it is Cat and, or as as much as is is Cat and Delo's, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I think that's big for this team because, yeah, if everything goes, I always put it like this, like if Ant is on the Luca path, right? Which is would be phenomenal for the team for the organization because that means you have a top five player in the NBA on your team. If he's headed in that direction, like, you know, a thing to navigate like champagne problem is him being better than cat. Again, if he, he, he's on that path. So it's, you know, it's going to be the best thing for cat in a weird way too, is that if that happens where the two of them are, you know, are kind of progressing together. Right. And, and he's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what this additional leadership from Anthony Edwards is and, and where, you Know where he's going and how he's going there, both with Cat and Dilo. Because I don't think there's any signs right now that there's any sort of awkward, like, oh, who's the face of the franchise? And I don't, that stuff doesn't even really matter that much. But you know, side yeah. note, Ant is the face of the franchise. Facts.
2: The one, the one thing too that he talked about that I think he wanted people to n- take away from it was that the number one thing he worked on this summer was shooting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just, uh, do with that what you will, but I just, he talked about step backs, long threes, don't just, everything. Like, I think he just wants to continuously become this Uber score, which is not a bad thing. I just, that was the elite shot maker. Yep. Yeah. that's what what I think the phrase he used. So, um, what we do next. Let's talk about, so the guy that kicked off me today was Malik Beasley. Okay. Um, and I like feel so bad because I used to constantly ridicule, this in the past i joked about earlier but today was hashtag muscle watch right everyone like says they got bigger i don't malik beasley looked just a little thicker today like a little better but also physical body image aside i might be a a kool-aid drinker but he looked like a guy who has maybe learned a lesson or two like just like he i think he referenced multiple times a unique year that he's had um and i had a quote that he talked about he's like we're asked about, you know, all the different lineups and rotations and what Chris Finch can do and all the talent on the team. And he said, we're, we're not, or we're just worried about winning. I'm not worried about what position I play or whether or not I start. Does that energy carry into next week with the preseason? Does that energy carry into mid-October when the season starts? But I think you at least have to acknowledge that the comment was made because I've been one of the guys that's like, he'd be a perfect six man. So for him to say that you can be cynical, of course, but I thought it was at least a sign of growth that he was willing to be like. I wouldn't. I would. I'd be okay coming off the bench.
1: Yeah, and and you know, to be, I I asked him about that at his end of season press conference too, and you know, he he same energy then was like, I'm cool with coming off the bench if we win, doing whatever's, you know, yeah, whatever's best for the team. And he said that same thing again today. I uh, not to go back to Dilo, but I asked Dilo today about coexisting on the floor at the same time Dilo and and Malik all at the same time because I mean it goes both ways with that and I probably like highlight the things I'm concerned about with those three I think that's a real like I think that's a real question this season but like that could be a extremely dynamic offensive trio the you know the three of them and and I thought it was interesting how D'Lo responded to that of like, i was like how how do the three of you like coexist out there and he said it's you know it's about matchups and having to find you know the right way to have them all on the floor together to be able to guard at least capably you know like i don't think they're i don't think d'angelo russell's under any sort of illusion that when the three of them are on the floor they're going like the wolves are going to be locking up Yeah. <laughs> but what he said too in closing i think it was the last thing he said he goes yeah but if the three of us are out there like they got to guard us too Right, which, again, is is a fair point. Like (laughs) we, myself, particularly, talk about the imbalance of this roster a lot, and I do I do think it's an issue. I think it's gonna be tricky for Finch to solve. But part of this, part of the equation, is they do have to guard Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, and Angelo Russell, right? Like, and we and we do this. Oh well, there's a glass ceiling to be an all offensive group you know they could only be the portland trailblazers. Well, you know what if this group this year and next year was like the blazers of the past couple of years, pretty big step in the right direction. Eventually, if you want to be a contender in this league, you know, go to a western conference finals, that sort of thing, yeah, they're going to probably need to navigate a more a better balanced roster. But there's a world where with those three and then obviously Carl Anthony Towns that you could have an elite elite offense here and even if they're giving up points like they got to guard them too. So I don't know. I It's a strong opinion I have of being concerned about the balance there but I want to leave myself open right like to this idea that you know, maybe just being awesome at offense makes up for being bad at defense.
2: Yeah, I mean being the the Portland Trailblazers is not a bad thing, right? Like in terms (laughs) of it's not how you win a title but very rarely do we see You in the NBA specifically, very rarely do we see you go from ring of the ladder two to ring of the ladder nine, right? You kind of got to get to four to six to seven to eight. Mm. So I'm with you on the offensive thing. I also think too, it's just worth noting that, you know, we kind of all know what Malik's situation was with, you know, prison time or serving time this summer. Um, I think he made mention that there was like a work release structure in place. So he still got to work out every day. Mm -hmm. Again, he looked bigger. Um, I think Malik's the type of guy that you're just never gonna get a good soundbite out of him unless he just drops thirty, right? Like <laughs> sure. like I mean there's Zoom nights where it's like he was way more engaged because he hit seven threes. So he wasn't the most exciting person. But, but, but- he
1: said the right thing. I mean, we didn't again, no pushback on coming off the bench because there's gonna be even if it even if, I don't think we know yet if he's gonna start or not, but he's probably not gonna start and finish games. At least one of these guys is not gonna both start and finish games, right? Like there's just, it does. It's not going to balance out in that sort of way. So again, you know, all being bought in, having the, having like a mentality of a team rather than me first sort of thing. That's, that is going to go a long ways in, you know, making a group that is imbalanced kind of, you know, (laughs) balance themselves out. One of the other, keep moving along. I think we'll just go down like best players, (laughs) down the line. Like one of those balancers is Jade McDaniel's, right, and um. I am now that more people, yourself included, have seen him. Can I get some backup that Jaden McDaniels is really freaking tall? So I tried to confirm this with a couple of PR people, but I think Jaden McDaniels is actually eight foot
2: four. (laughs) Um, He is I tweeted out a photo like he is a giant human being. Uh, He talked about, again, muscle watch. Everyone somehow everyone's growing in the summer. I'd love to hang out with those whatever (laughs) they're drinking and eating. But he confirmed mean like a real thing. Cause I mean, for what you take it, what it's worth. But he said it like that he was a, what six nine, six ten. Yeah. Um, if he's six ten, that mean he is he not maybe the tallest player on the team?
1: <laughs> I, I think. Well, and it's always so. <laughs> these heights are so weird. Are we talking about six ten? Are you in shoes? Are you not in shoes? Um. I, I just think what's going to end up happening when people are watching the Timberwolves play this season, and if you're at a game or even just on TV, you're going to go, "Oh, Jaden McDaniels." Is taller than this player who I think of as a six ten person. Yeah. Or oh, here's Jaden McDaniels standing next to six foot eleven Enos Canther, who's twice as thick as him, but jaded with his hair is taller than him. You know what I mean? Right. Like and I think that I think that just you know that matters here. I nobody I think is under the illusion that Jaden playing power forward predominantly is necessarily a good idea. He's still skinny. Like he is a 3-4, but we're talking about a seven foot guy wing you know height wingspan all those sort of things and who can move his feet he he has a real chance to be an absolute monster defensively and i asked him about a couple players so he'd he'd be watching film on the summer he said brandon ingram jonathan isaac and pascal siakam and i think obviously ingram is kind of the idea right of the summer league mcdaniel's idea that like let's couple dribbles let's get into 15 feet let's let's make some shots Maybe have McDaniels add a little bit more of that to his game this year. But then really kind of focusing on being pre ACL tier, Jonathan Isaac, just wreaking havoc all over the floor defensively. And then maybe Siakam, you could clear out for him a little bit more. He can he can isolate from the top, also be a strong defender. Like I and,
2: and he Don't too- think
1: those are unrealistic players, particularly Isaac and Siakam. I don't think those are unrealistic targets for Jaden McDaniels to at least aim at.
2: Yeah, and I think it was interesting too because he people started gassing him up, like in those early questions when he took the stage about like, you know, you were the you were the face of the Summer Wolves, right? Like you were the face of that franchise this summer with all the opportunities you got. And he didn't sugarcoat it in terms of like, I know that's not my role going forward. Right. But he he referenced this like maximizing your touches where it gave him a little more reps and confidence that he knows he reads the room already, even though he was, you know. A couple of years ago, he was sure. the top high school prospect in the country, right? And then he falls in the draft. I think he knows that he is going to eat fourth in any given lineup. And offensively. probably like okay with that, right? And he's but he again yeah. kind of on the Malik level. Like he acknowledged that and said that you know when I do get to eat, I got to eat. Like I have to take bites. So <laughs> that maximizing yeah. your touches thing, I thought was interesting. I think the Brandon Ingram comp is. Kind of cool because i think ingram is just far more maybe polished offensively yeah like jaden is defensively but um again seeing Jaden at eight foot four i just don't think <laughs> Jaden mcdonald's is ever going to add the 30 pounds of muscle that you want you know mm-hmm. he's going to be in that physically he's going to be in that kd ingram mold where he's just going to be a tall strong skinny and yeah. that's that's okay um yeah. because today again and that's he, part of the
1: reason why he's got to play the three Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And some four. Exactly. Yeah. So and at least for now. Maybe he adds another fifteen next summer or something like that. But yeah, for now, three. And because there's only one power forward on the roster, he's probably gonna play some four, too. Um, but I as somebody who was skeptical about him being a power forward at all, it helps to know that he grew in height and some weight this summer. Like I I think he's gonna be able to He's going to be able to capably guard situationally at the four and potentially be a monster situationally at the three.
2: Well, and I joke too, but you were in, you were in Vegas this for Summer League. Like, if that growth is real, which I think it is, and you think it is, like, he might be the tallest player on the team. <laughs> like, I I think he, in that one viral photo or whatever, where they're all hanging out on on the court in Summer League, like all the players, like, he looks taller, maybe it's the hair, than Carl Anthony Towns. Like, he's just a huge human being.
1: Yeah, I think, I think they're this... Maybe I'll say this—it's this, this cop out, but let's call them the same height. Okay, um, yeah, but I think so. I mean, that's still saying a lot. Cat is listed at seven foot. Moving on, we gotta we gotta run through a couple of these. Uh, I, I thought Torian Prince and Nas Reed were the other two that stood out to me most from from today, just in kind of the way they talked and the, the way they carried themselves. Did you have that opinion? I think you said Torian, right? If I had, if, if there was a voting process for who I took away
2: today as the most memorable or who was... It was Torian Prince by a landslide. Um, I think I tweeted this out, but I think he's going to become a fan favorite. You know, he's going to be in the Ricky Rubio shadow, shadow, right? Because he was... Rubio was traded for him essentially, yeah. you know, in a straight swap with a little pick and a little cash on the side. Um, but I just... I thought he talked multiple times about sacrifice or... Like, I, he had a pretty big... It was an ankle surgery, I think, to clean up an ankle issue. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, like, for a while there, he couldn't get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and walk. Um, And that he didn't get the... Sur- he would have liked to have gotten the surgery his first year in Brooklyn. um, But he sacrificed for the team because he wanted them to, like, make the playing game and stuff. It just... He talked a lot about sacrifices. And I just think he talked about his family, about just things like money not mattering to him. It just... It was a really... Selfless guy that has been through some wars, and I think, I mean, maybe maybe he won't be a fan favorite in terms of media stuff or or sound bites, but I think that's the exact. He he has potential
1: to be a fan favorite because he could potentially be a very good player. I don't. I think we've forgotten how good you know he was as a shooter, in but before he went to Brooklyn, there like. Torrey Prince, we're gonna just because this team doesn't have a lot of defenders, we're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of noise and some articles about. You know, how he's going to be the guy who, when you're playing KD or LeBron, like that's who's going to guard him, all this and that. And, you know, given the options that the Wolves have on the roster, yeah, he's probably the best for that. I think, like, if there's one thing people need to understand about Torian Prince, if he is healthy, is that he can be an elite catch-and-shoot player. And I mean that in, like, that he can knock those down at, like, 40%, but also has enough juice to be able to, like, pump and go and attack in those sort of ways and I have said this before, but you look at the end of last season and as brutal as Wancho's like tenure here in Minnesota was, it was best at the end of the year when Finch found a way to kind of stagger in D'Lo with that bench unit of like, remember it was Delo, J-Mac, Wancho at the three, Vando and Nas. Like Torian Prince as, as Wancho in that group, like I think that's a big step, like basketball wise, I think he could really thrive in that role. And, and, and quite frankly, just be like, I think 2k rating shooters like Torian Prince is a substantially has a substantially higher or should have a substantially higher 2k shooting rating. He's a great shooter and that should earn him time in this, in this rotation, along with his ability to guard some, Now I will say that ankle injury, all that sort of stuff, like glad he got it taken care of and all those sort of things. I'd be lying if I said I didn't have like some Brandon Roy like flashback sort of stuff. It's like okay, so you had this chronic ankle injury. Is it ever going to be better? Like it's better now. Will it stay better? I just, I guess, I'm hoping for his sake that you know this isn't a chronic injury that's going to plague him for a long time. Because I, I love to, I love Point Prince, <laughs> like just I as just, an I, NBA fan. Like, like before, I, I, I think he could be a really good bench piece for this team.
2: Oh, and again, this I. I would say the shooting with all the scoring we just talked about right with that Ant Russell Town's trio, the shooting is just an uh, a benefit, right? But his de- what he does defensively is how he's going to get real s- long stretches of minutes and he had made made a mention that during his rookie year he was guarding Marcus in Memphis one night and then the next night he was primarily guarding Kyrie in Boston. Like right. that that versatility that Finch can put him on all these different guys, and a- I hope so.
1: That's the part I'm skeptical about, if I'm being honest. And that, like, that's fine. I was. Just, I think the other th- kind of to put a
2: bow on Torian Prince is that, and this is going to become a theme that we talk about a lot. But every year preseason, no matter what sport it is, it's like everyone's all excited for their favorite team because you're just blowing gas, and that's what you do preseason. But what but we're th- doing right now, right? But the but the the, the the one caveat that makes this, in my opinion, different. Than any other Timberwolves season that we've covered, you and I, is that w- contract years. Mm-hmm. Torian Prince also in a contract year. We just talked about Russell in a in a pseudo contract year. Carontion Town same thing. Max mm-hmm. extension eligible next summer. Um, another guy who we didn't. There wasn't a lot of talking points, but like Josh Okogie is contract eligible right now. Like yep. of of all the other years, I've cheered for this team and covered this team. This year, there's dollars
1: on the line for do these you remember guys- do you remember how um when rose when rosos and finch came on my pod in vegas and finch said that i don't remember exactly how he put it but he talked about improving players value in the market oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 and and I, I i think if i remember it correctly i was like Wait, what do you mean by that and and he said like you know part of our job is to is to engage these guys in a way where their market value like where they increase their market value so they can like get paid. I think Chris Finch under as much, if these guys are all willing to talk about being in a contract year on media day on the podium, like they probably talked to Chris Finch about it too. Right. And like, and that's just the reality of the business of this. So, um, yeah, like, it, you know, it's just, it, it, it happens in pro sports a lot, right? Where a guy
2: finally gets paid and you literally, no matter what levels, NFL, NBA, and would be like, you see their production kind of dip that first year because it's just natural. That they're like, okay, I got well, it. Well, like let's
1: I, be real. That's what happened with D'Angelo Russell and Torian Prince after they signed their deals.
2: Right. So, and you see it across all sports. But I mean, if you look up and down the roster now of like, I mean, Jake Lehman was another one who was in the final. I mean, Jake Lehman's been in Minnesota for 42 years, it feels like. <laughs> but he's another guy that like, he didn't have a lot of noticeable sound bites. but he had, you know, made mention that like, I'm. you're going to see a different Jake this year. I'm going to be more okay. aggressive. I want to play. Half the roster has incentives to like, do you want to make more money next summer like it's 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 just a it's just a it's an interesting theme that of all the other years when players sell all that shit and they're motivated and they want to win this year, it's like that might actually there's extra incentive on the line other than just winning for these guys to
1: bust their ass well and the even the younger guys on this team aren't like super young guys. I think Jalen Noel kind of talked about that too now Noel's in his third year in the league, so if he's like not playing if he's like not in the rotation, right. Then you're not just like a young guy waiting your time anymore. You're kind of like scouting flights to Europe. You know yeah. I mean? I mean, like, <laughs> So there are, I, I, as, as Noel was talking about that and layman was talking about that. And even a Kogi uh, about, again, trying to kind of improve their market value and have a good year for the team. And, you know, for themselves, I did not that this would be like a problem necessarily, but not all these guys are going to be able to play. I think if we both, if we sat here right now and, did a mock rotation. I don't think either of us would have Jalen Noel or Jake Layman in it, and Josh and Kogi would probably be on the fringe of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like he'd be the tenth guy, maybe. Yep. If we were doing that, so it'll kind of like I'm interested to track that dynamic, right? And the Timberwolves guys get hurt all the time. <laughs> like who knows? Nathan Knight might be starting by like January because <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> like that just that's what's happened, right? I mean, Jordan McLaughlin. It's like I mean that. So I, I don't know that that'll be that'll be interesting to track, but that did. The whole contract year part where half the guys were talking about it, that stood out to me too. I so. just think it's more meaningful than if like
2: I, J- Jared Vanderbilt and Jordan McLaughlin, who are two dudes it kind of got paid and finally got those contracts that they deserved. They didn't say anything bad, but they just didn't say anything that was like in terms of that extra hungriness. Whereas like a guy like Torian Prince or D'Lo sure. or all these other guys mentioned, like, went out of their way to talk about it. So I think it's uh, a unique aspect to follow that you have all these – guys that are like extra motivated on top of just also not wanting to lose anymore. Right. Right. And that transitions, you want to talk about these two guys that transitions right into, I think your big winner of the day was Nas Reed. He, he too just was like, he's sweet. Like I like him. Like he was just like, I'm so tired of losing. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't make it look like he was demanding a trade. I think he was just, I think you maybe tweeted this out. he could be a real like hidden gem in the locker room of just being an adult and a leader.
1: I, I remember I had a conversation with someone last year when the losing was happening a lot. And, and it's kind of like, again, you know, we're not in the locker room last year because of COVID and all those sort of things. And they're like, hands down the person that's most mad that we're on a seven or nine game, whatever they were right now. He's like, Nasreed. Nasreed is the, the most sick of losing on the entire team. I'm like, huh? You know, it's just interesting how player narratives kind of change. Like, I I, I don't know if it's a narrative like a big reason Nasri didn't get drafted is because he was labeled as a guy who didn't really care at LSU and you know and coming out and I think for one reason or the other that has completely changed with Nas he's obviously completely changed his body and I I remember just being on the zooms last year like when they come off and be a loss like he and he come and sit down for a zoom. He was more pissed off. Maybe him and Ricky were tied. But like nobody was more pissed off than Nas Reed when the Wolves went to Oklahoma City and lost on a Tuesday night. You know? And and I think that and every, everyone knows like <laughs> I'm as I'm as high as you can get on, on Nas Reed. I just I believe in his skill set and like he's not just like a tryhard. I think he's a he's a talented guy too. But I think talent with some like legitimate passion. I don't know. I, I- he, he was the one guy. He
2: spoke 90% of his stuff that he talked about was how, I mean, he's another kind of in that Jaden McDaniels bucket, right? Where like in high school, he was highly thought of. Yep. And then he just kind of flamed out in college, which then affected him not even getting drafted. I mean, Jaden fell at the end of the first. Nazi didn't even get drafted. And it sounds like every year since he left LSU, I mean, we always joke about his uh, rookie year in summer league that he couldn't jump over the free throw line. Not MJ jumped from the free throw line. He couldn't jump over the line <laughs> that's painted on the ground because he just wasn't an athlete. Yeah. And he looks completely different. And it sounds like every year that he's been in the league now, he's busting his ass harder and harder. He made a comment about the very cliche. Yeah, I would
1: tell people to like watch. Like go go watch. Like I don't know, It's sure this is on YouTube or something. Like watch NASA's eight minutes or something. And I think you'll, like, right? Like yeah, yeah it came across, at least in person, I would assume it did on camera too. Like, this guy's not fucking around. N- Nas, yeah. If
2: you were telling people to go rewatch highlights of Media Day today, Nas Reed would be one of the two people. It's like go yeah. watch that. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he made it's very cliche. I know, but from we also get to talk to some people, right? That are, show up at the at the practice facility every day. Mm-hmm. Nas Reid is actually one of the cliche guys who is in the gym first and w- one of the first to get there and one of the last to leave. He's right. a gym rat, and he's another guy too that like probably looks around the league at what. Some of these other backup centers make, or some of these other guys play make, and it's like I should. He's still kind of making peanuts. He's on a no, he Gupta special, peanuts. yeah, right. And I'm that. That's another guy that's like I even like what Vando's making now. He's like I want to make what Vando makes. I want mm-hmm. that long term security. So he's another guy that's in like a pseudo contract year of.
1: I'm really motivated. I'm fascinated to see what his role is going to be, or what Finch is, because because I think like, and not to go like there's a conversation for another time, like X's and O's and stuff, but. I think Finch really likes when his big man can like kind of play with the ball, be a playmaker with the ball in his hands, and, and you know, and Nas is a little bit too chaotic. He falls over every time he goes to the rim and all those sort of things. But like Nas can kind of handle for a six ten guy. He can like he's a really strong DHO player, I think, or he could really develop into that. Like I don't want to say Nikola Jokic, but you know how like kind of the way that the the Nuggets use Jokic in that sort of way, and Chris Finch, quite frankly used Jokic when it was Jokic and Nurkic sort of there like playing at playing with him through the nail and like at the, at the elbow and that sort of area like there's I'm curious to see how much Chris Finch wants to tap into that because there's a little bit of a blockade there in that you know he's the backup center and Kat you know this whole team is kind of defined by Kat right so we, we, we ask all the time like can you play next to Kat you know yada 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 like yeah I think we'll see some of that but I want to see Nas like dominate in his 15 minutes a game as the backup center. Like let's beat up
2: on the backup, other backups. It was also cool too, just from like a personal touch because that's what my analysis is. Is like uh, he mentioned again, which we know, but how he's known Carl since like the seventh grade. They played on the AAU team together. And obviously Carl's like three years older than Nas, but Nas had kind of, I never thought about this. It's just so weird that like Nas has kind of tailored his game after Carl, right? Mm -hmm. Like he talked about like, seeing Carl shoot threes and Nas has stretched his game back behind the three-point line and trying to make some more of the passes that Carl makes. And just it was, uh, to
1: Rosa's credit, man, that was, he went and found discount, like cat. discount, discount, cat. Yeah. an undrafted generic brand range, over yeah. the counter Carl the towns So, and you know, and he's obviously still a long ways away from being Carl at towns, but like, you know, he's moved in that direction to, you know, taking a couple small steps over the, his first two years in the league. So yeah, he's, yeah, just like even in preseason and stuff, I I'm, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, where's Nas at because I'd assume he's improved a lot over the summer. What, anyone we, else? I was gonna say We're getting like, up there in time. We can uh
2: two guys that I just want to like hit on real quick It's like it was cool Josh Josh Okogi continues to be not an Anthony Edwards level soundbite, but just he talked a lot during his time about either his time with team Nigeria and how much that meant to like the country of Nigeria, when they mm-hmm. beat team USA in an exi- exhibition game, um, Josh continues to be the gold standard of just athletes you'd want on your organization. Right. I mean, sure. he, he was asked about being, he's contract extension eligible now because right. he was in the Luca Trey young class. Um, and that he doesn't think about it much, but that he loves the community and loves, and he would love to stay here long-term. And I mean, he's actions over words, right? Cause he's in the community doing stuff. Um, that was just one nugget I wanted to say. And then Leandro Bomero, I think, I think you went to like charge your phone or something. He had the shortest of the press conferences because uh, he had a translator down in the seats. Um, he didn't say anything really noteworthy, but man, that kid was giddy. Like he was giddy. He is so excited <laughs> to be here. Uh, he did touch on like how much it means to have Pablo Prigioni around to just have that soundboard or that relationship. But he looks like a kid who just like a kid, like an absolute. He kept saying in his very broken English, like "dream come true." It's my dream, so I'm Mm -hmm. excited to see him play. I don't know what his role will be.
1: Yeah, no, I I am too. I I feel like I've kind of like been labeled a little bit as like a Bomaro like, yeah, hater. Yeah, 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 that's why you. Yeah, but I think he's just. My my main point in that is I think he's just so raw right now, which you know, put in another way, is potential, right? Like, I, I just think he has a lot of things to like hammer out in his game, but. Like, we can make one thing, like, really clear about Leandro Bomaro, like, against the classic, like, Euro stereotype. Like, this isn't your classic, like, slow white dude. Like, this is an athlete. And I think that's what people will see in the preseason. Again, he's going to kind of have to, like, control some of that energy and those sort of things. Obviously, going to have to find a shot a little bit more. But, like, he's going to pop some. There, there will be, if he gets on the floor, like, during the preseason, because, I again, I don't think he'll be in the ro- opening rotation, or anything like that. But this kid's going to pop because he's an athlete. And he's big, too. That's a big dude, too. I mean, everyone thinks I'm saying the same shit. But, dude, he's big. Like, You mean, like, I
2: know we could see it in, like, YouTube clips and stuff. He's not filled out yet, but he's so young. But he's just, he's, like, small forward built for how his height is and his wingspan drink and just, like, all that stuff. So that was another guy. And then the last one, and then I'll just toss it up to you, however you want to wrap it up. But McKinley Wright, I know Balmero was probably the most excited to be in the NBA. McKinley right? I know we're thanks for listening this far into the pod but he was (laughs) local kid you know way more about him than I do but he seemed like dreams come true to grow up in this area 15 minutes from target center and he looked so happy to be putting that jersey on Mm -hmm. and the coolest thing to me was like he was known for his defense right in Colorado University of Colorado um he made multiple mentions to how close he's already gotten with Patrick Beverly And how Patrick Beverly had to grind to get to where he is in his career. And I don't know what McKinley Wright's future looks like. I don't think McKinley Wright ever plays for the Timberwolves. And if he does, that's probably really bad this season. But just it was a cool little mentorship opportunity to be like, have a guy like that that you would look up to that plays
1: the similar style, undersized. Well, dude, how about just the angle of like being from here? Yeah. You know, and like to, to be able to show to somebody new to the team who whatever, like, or, or even some of the guys who have been here for a year, but we're here through COVID, like it helps having McKinley, write Somebody who actually loves Minneapolis yep, and has been here, knows the value in it, knows the, the like the hidden secrets of it. Like there's some value in that to be able to, yeah, just kind of like show some of these guys around. And I was thinking about that too. And he, he was talking today as well of like, yeah, what a, what a, what a fine way to use your two-way contract, right? Hope he becomes, you know, the next Patrick Beverly, but if not, like, seems like a really solid dude I've had a chance to talk to him a few different times, like yeah, a very solid use of the of the two-way and um yeah i I I think we, we hit on most of them there. obviously you got one more thing yeah so as you can say the, the last one the last guy to speak
2: four 30 in the afternoon like we're grinding all day right was uh nathan Knight Twitter Twitter fan favorite was Nathan Knight. Um, so now we've hit all of them. If you know, but if you but if you don't know Nathan Knight, and this is I think a good way to close this pod. If you don't know Nathan Knight, he spent his whole year in Atlanta last year. Kind of had to grind as well. Um, he has a really bubbly personality. But I, the biggest thing I took away in this note I wrote down was, uh, they asked him, maybe it was you, about just like you were on a team that started out the season super underperforming, oh, yeah, yeah, and you didn't make any roster changes, right? You didn't blow up the roster or anything. You just had a a change in coaches and you immediately turned it into like this long playoff run. And what, what did you know about that? And the word he used and he threw it at us was culture. And he said that when we got a new coach, we changed how we looked at things. We galvanized and we didn't make any transactions. We didn't make any additions, subtractions. It was the same roster. And we, and that gave me, and it, it
1: seemed genuine too, because I don't even think he like put it together from like the Finch standpoint. Someone just like asked him about his last year in Atlanta and and you know and and how it changed and then we all kind of latched onto it like oh you made a coaching change and no, the culture, like got better like I think he genuinely feels that's what happened when the Hawks moved on from Lloyd Pierce, uh, and and the direction that they went in right with Nate McMillan and they made it to the conference finals right like so yeah that that was a, that was an interesting nugget as well and yeah for, for people who are looking at this Chris Finch glass half full like I think the both of us are it is a good anecdote of how changing your coach can have, one, a massive impact on your win-loss record, as that happened in Atlanta. But, I mean, Nathan Knight isn't the first Hawks player from last season to say the culture was completely broken under Lloyd Pierce, and it completely changed under Nate McMillan, and that's the hope in Minnesota, right? And I know
2: Nathan Knight's been here for a hot second, right? But I just thought that was kind of like, ironically, as we're just waiting for the last guy to get to meet today, this weird encapsulation as it brings it full circle of like, what happened last week with Gerson Rosas and new ownership and all this stuff. And the, the direct question to Nathan Knight at the end of media day was, how does this team start winning games? And that's when he went into his culture talk. And it's like, mm-hmm. he he hasn't been coached up by PR. He's no, like, he <laughs> doesn't know anything about the Timberwolves, but he knows that culture led to winning. And for a team that is, I know Torian Prince and I know Patrick Beverly, but is essentially running it back with most of the same guys chewing up minutes. Uh, I thought that was like this weird, hallmark, Circle. ironic way to like, close the day, it's like they have their new coach in Chris Finch. They have their new guy in Sasha Gupta. Um, those guys and then the trickle-down effect to the two leaders in Kat and Aunt, or D'Lo and then the young guys, it's just, it, it's a lot of the same guys, but you don't necessarily need to have roster change to have right. record change. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they can build the culture that is, not that they talk about, but the culture they need to win more games and they lose.
1: It's going to be fascinating to track here, you know, over the these next few weeks. I mean, they got a game October 4th, right? What is that? In a week. Jesus. I mean, it's there's a lot unwritten about this team, you know, and they got I mean, they got to figure out a lot of stuff. Still they got to they got to make this work. Chris Finch has got to make this work. But um yeah, kind of just to like what you said at the beginning where nothing super popped today which was i think a win for the wolves organization of like kind of fly under the radar i think they did that but at the same time i think they like set the stage of like all right this summer's been a little like boring and then exhausting right and i think they they set it up today of like yeah let's go now right like we're gonna start practicing tomorrow we're gonna play next week and it's whether it's a contract year whether it's cat proving himself whether it's some of these hungry young guys, like I think this team is ready to go. I don't know exactly where they're going, but I get I'm just compare it to last season when we're in training camp. This team felt like it was stuck in neutral, or just couldn't really get the traction under them. I remember just talking to like Saunders and stuff, where oh yeah, like Juancho's here, but he's having visa issues. He can't practice with us. A couple of the other players who got here last... You know, they're not in shape. They're not this and that. And they weren't ready to go when training camp hit last year. And and I think that is the biggest difference from last year's team to this year's team.
2: The NBA is a 12-month league now, right? For Whereas sure. no matter what asteroid hits a franchise on a Tuesday, something else happens by Wednesday. And by Thursday, you've kind of already forgotten about it. Oh. So last Wednesday, when Voldemort was removed from the castle, like... It was we thought it was gonna be the most dysfunctional thing in the world. And as we kind of learned today, they're gonna to be fully vaccinated. They believe in the, the guy who sits atop the decision making power in Sasha and Gupta. They have their coach. All they're not one of the handful of Western Conference teams that has a guy that's coming off of an injury like a Jamal Murray or Kawhi Leonard. Sure. They're fully healthy. So again, I'm I'm not just blowing a ton of smoke and it's all pots of golden rainbows. Like they're still projected to win thirty two games. And Vegas usually knows I mean Check my bank account. Vegas knows way more than I do. But like they, they just ironically after the distraction of all distractions last Wednesday, it's kind of like we've already moved past it and they don't really have any distractions and they're going to start playing basketball tomorrow. Right. Um, and they're motivated and they're young and they're hungry and they still doesn't really matter if they go 20 and 62, you know, they, then I look like a fool again. But I think of all the years they finally just have all of their T's crossed and I's dotted and they can just play basketball. And that's what I'm excited. I'm excited for the Minnesota Timberwolves to play basketball.
1: I, I think that's a good that's a good way to, to sum it up. And I think this was a largely positive podcast, but I am largely positive on this team right now. And, you know, in, in, in positive relative to those expectations that, you know, Vegas or a lot of these other, I would imagine, I would imagine uh, the Roses firing has dropped the Wolves in the national media power rankings, right? Just, oh, like more dysfunction, they're going to be worse. Like, I would, I still, if I had to bet on the Wolves over under, I would still feel very confident in, you know, in the over, which is something I've never said about the Timberwolves over under before. Like, I don't think this is a 32, 33 win team. I think they're better than that. And, and that's because, that's because we've been talking about for the last 60 minutes, because in like the shadow of dysfunction, I think you got 15 dudes and a coach who are ready to go. You know and then the new president of basketball operations or evp whatever we're going to call it like i think he's going to get there and and there's there doesn't need to be an expectation that they're like a six or seven seed i don't think that's fair but i think it's very fair to put an expectation that they're a team that is flirting with 500 i don't think that's what i would pick i think i'll i mean i'm wait to do an official pick but i I don't think if you're listening to this right now and and thinking that this is a 39 41 team i don't think you're being irrational i i really i really don't feel that way and i think any other season if somebody would told me that their prediction is six or seven wins higher than what vegas is i go you're crazy you know i don't i think this is the first time i think that tim are ever being like kind of slept on i i really i really do feel that way so i'm 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 fascinated to, to see where this team is going, Kyle. Thank you. I took up a ton of your time, bunch of a lot of podcasts today. Thank you for doing it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where this team goes, everybody. You can read, um, uh, Kyle has a post probably up on Canis by now. Um, kind of recapping actually just what we went through here, but in written form with some tweets and some notes from, from the day, follow everything that Kyle's doing at Canis Hoop and his whole, his whole team there has, has been awesome for, uh, for Timberwolves content all summer and will be throughout the year. So again, Kyle, thanks. Thanks, man. Um, he's Kyle Tige at Kyle Tige. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. I'll be back probably later in this week as we learn more at training camp with some more pods. Um, I'm excited to keep doing it. Until then. Peace out. How I'm feeling man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let ever out, bring you down,
2: yeah. Hope you like nobody else around. Yeah.